Welcome to Music Journeys. I'm Mike Foley. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this week announced the nominees being considered for induction this fall. From the museum in Cleveland, the Rock Hall's Greg Harris unveiled the 14 artists. Kate Bush. Cheryl Crow. Missy Elliott. Iron Maiden. Joy Division New Order. Cindy Lauper. George Michael. Willie Nelson. On the road again. Rage Against the Machine. Soundgarden. The Spinners. A Tribe Called Quest. The White Stripes. And Warren Zevon. On this edition of Music Journeys, Greg Harris, who served as president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum since 2013, will explain the selection process. He also shares his personal path to Cleveland, steps that included running a record store and working at the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's a big reason why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is much more than a museum now. It's an interactive, engaging experience. In true Music Journeys fashion, Harris delivers his Fast Five. Then we'll bring in the Rock Hall's John Gerke to lend some insight into this year's nominees. He'll also explain how you can vote for your top five artists and how the full fans ballot factors into and often predicts a few of the inductees each year. It's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame edition of Music Journeys. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Greg Harris, and I'm fortunate to be the president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum, I think the greatest museum in our entire country, because every single visitor has a lifetime of memories tied to the music in our museum, and it's a magical place because of that. And this is my music journey. Musician Jewel Big Green warms up the crowd before the opening of a new exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum. Even though four Hall of Famers were the big draw on this November night, there were pop-up performances like his scattered throughout the sixth-floor building. Greg Harris describes live music as a living, breathing art form, and it's something that's celebrated at the Rock Hall. It's not just instruments and cases. We did 100 days of live music on our plaza this summer. So when you walk up to the museum, odds are there's going to be a band cranking, and you're going to feel the power of rock and roll. Our mission is to engage, teach, and inspire through the power of rock and roll. And when your mission is to do that, you can inspire and engage people in a lot of ways. So when we put a band on stage, it's very different than a place that puts a band on stage just for entertainment. For us, it's mission-centered. We put original music on our stage, and we expose people to the power of rock and roll. Harris has served as president and CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum since 2013, but his love of music, museums, and stories began long before that. Among his jobs before coming to Cleveland, running a record store, managing a band, and working at the Baseball Hall of Fame. I was born uh, in the middle 60s in Trenton, New Jersey, and lived for the first uh, 10 years of our life in New Jersey, and then the next uh, seven years across the river um, from uh, Trenton in, in Pennsylvania. And in that part of the world, you know, Springsteen was everywhere. I'm in the cloud, it was the 
we all love Bruce. Uh, he was telling our stories, and we connected with him in a really powerful way. I was listening to uh, Philadelphia Radio. I was listening to college stations out of uh, Princeton and out of Trenton and hearing uh, alternative and punk and indie music from great college radio stations along with the big FM stations that were playing, you know, the Grateful Dead and the Stones and David Bowie and stuff like that, as well as some AM stations that were playing great 50s oldies stuff. So that whole mishmash kind of brought it together for me. I play guitar, but not well. And back then I would listen and play and learn Chuck Berry and jam with people. Um, but always on the band side, I ended up helping by running the sound or by moving the gear or by ultimately being the road manager and not being the person up on stage. I road managed a band named the Ben Vaughn Combo, and we actually played Columbus quite a bit. Being not just loving music, but being able to live it and go to stations, frankly, like this, we would do this all over the country with the band and do uh, in-studio sessions and then playing Columbia, Missouri or Lincoln, Nebraska or Sioux City, Iowa or Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, all of that just cemented, um, you know, you're around people that love music as much as you do, and you kind of heighten each other. And now to be working at a place that celebrates this connection that we all have with rock and roll and the important moments of our life is, is just a dream come true. When I stand here and look back, it's a pretty straight line. Um, but while it was happening, it didn't feel that way, especially, you know, dropping out of school and opening up the record store when your friends were finishing uh, school and getting their first jobs, road managing a band and doing cross-country tours. And ultimately, um, you know, going to graduate school and working some other jobs, you know, starting businesses and doing other things, you felt like you were sort of zigging and zagging a little bit. And then to have the Baseball Hall of Fame experience for 14 years, the oldest and best established Hall of Fame in our country, they started in 1939 and are really best in class. The trick is to take a place that's as, as big and as strong as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with all these visitors, but still give it that DNA, that feeling that that makes rock and roll so special and so powerful without it being, you know, overly slick uh, and overly commercialized. It has to be real. And I think by having this path, it gives you a good barometer to help keep it real. I think one of the, the most special aspects of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that every single visitor that walks through the front door has a lifetime of memory, a reservoir of life tied to this music. So when they hear a certain Creedence song, they think about the greatest road trip of their life. When they hear a Jackson Brown or a Carole King song, might think about that time their heart was broken and how that music was there. They might think about somebody that they haven't seen in a long time. 
or they might think about all the other people that love the same thing. And there's a there's a power in that connectedness, and that's rock and roll. If there's one thing about the rock hall that divides music fans, it's the topic of who's in and who's not. First, let's have Harris outline the selection process. There's a lot of talk about it because I don't think most people are aware of how it really works. There's a nominating committee. That committee is made up of a number of music uh, critics, industry people, uh, other musicians. You know, uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, Quest Love from The Roots, uh, Dave Grohl, folks like that are on the committee. And everybody nominates two. And there's a series, some rounds of voting, and it becomes a ballot of roughly 15. And the reason you nominate somebody is because of their impact and influence, not necessarily record sales, but uh, did they take the art form and do something new and, and interesting and drive it in a new way? And it's why a band like the Velvet Underground... who in their lifetime probably sold 100 to 200,000 records, why they entered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before some artists that sold tens of millions of records. So there's that process. The ballot gets made. Then the ballot goes out to a voting body of about 1,000 people, and the largest voting block are all the other living inductees. So Bono votes, you know, Tina Turner votes, Smokey Robinson votes, and then the top five vote-getters are elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it's election by your peers, and that's really meaningful. Everybody feels like the band that they loved, that meant so much to them, is the greatest band in the world and should be inducted. That said, simply because they had a great record, one album, or a great moment, doesn't necessarily put them into that stratosphere. So people are passionate. What I love is that um, fans care who's in and who's out, and artists care. And that means that um, we're remaining relevant. And if people didn't care, that would be a, a bigger problem. While there's debate about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, there's no doubt about the museum's transformation in Cleveland to a more engaging experience for music fans. Walk by the garage exhibit and you can play the instrument of your choice or catch a group jamming. We opened up a space on our second floor called The Garage where visitors can play music and jam with each other and magical things happen in there every day. You know, we had uh, somebody that was just down from Toronto in playing with our group and he was killing it on Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff and seeing the joy on his family's face and other visitors to see that is pretty special. But at the same time, you know, we've had pros walk in there and surprise people. But I, I think that seeing the whole package come together and feeling like we built a space at the museum that was true to the independent record store vibe, true to the venue vibe, it's not too polished, it's not too perfect, it's, it's authentic. And when visitors put a guitar around their neck, it's not a simulated guitar hero. It's a Telecaster, it's a Stratocaster, it's a Les Paul, and they're really playing these real instruments. There's a magic in that. A popular past exhibit, Play It Loud, the instruments of rock and roll, reflected the museum's philosophy to display the best of the best, according to Harris. We want that guitar that the song was written on or that moment, not just a signed thing like the Hard Rock Cafe, iconic instruments. So there's a white Fender guitar 
that's central in that exhibit, and it is the guitar that Jimi Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock on that guitar. Those of us that know the story get goosebumps, but people that don't know the story, you're going to see Jimmy in context with it. You're going to see probably and hear video or see him playing it, so it gives a full curated experience. It needs to have the bold statements that, say, a young person needs to know that in a time when our country, um, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in a field to question what it meant to be Americans, well, Jimi Hendrix played the most American of songs on this instrument. You want that moment in that storytelling piece that people can connect with. As we look out in, into the future for the museum, you know, the on-site museum is terrific, and uh, we want everybody to, to see it. We've been investing heavily in, we call it Museum 2.0. We've kind of rebooted the whole place. We built an immersive theater that we hired Jonathan Demi to do the edit for uh, that just surrounds you in the greatest seats in any concert. And then we have something that's called Rock Hall EDU, and it's our online learning platform. Any teacher that's out there, any student, go to the Rock Hall website. There's hundreds of assets that they can use in their classroom. You can talk about the March on Washington, and when you do, you can actually show footage of Dylan performing at the March or Mahalia Jackson or one of our curators talking about uh, music in the civil rights movement or music as a social force. And so uh, Rock Hall EDU is a big way for us to impact a lot of people and to sort of put rock and roll and history together to help tell a story but help support curriculum materials that teachers are delivering anyway. Among the new additions for 2023 at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum in Cleveland, an expansion to offer more space for school groups, events, and exhibitions, an extension of the Beatles' Let It Be exhibit, which Harris says has been seen by half a million visitors already. This summer, the outdoor concerts ramp up, there's a Rapper's Delight exhibit, a Pioneer's collection, and of course, the next class of inductees from the recently announced nominees. We'll get into that with The Rock Hall's John Gerke after we finish up with Greg Harris and The Fast Five. Here we go. Okay, first song you can remember hearing that you loved. The first song I can remember hearing that I loved, uh, I think it was a 45 record it may have been off the American Graffiti soundtrack. It was a three-record set, and we had the 45 as well, and it was Chuck Berry's Carol. loved it. It was also my mom's name, and so I think I was drawn to it as a little kid, uh, but hearing that was just pretty magical. How about the song that makes you feel the most nostalgic or reflective? Boy, there's a bunch that do that. 
one that does it growing up where I did in the circumstances that we were in, Springsteen's Backstreets gets it uh, in a pretty big way. And uh, also, I'll say I think Thunder Road, and I'll share because one, um, I've had the great pleasure of, of seeing him a lot, but then seeing him with my brothers who are great fans, and there's that great bond. And then my son is now a singer-songwriter, and he does an amazing version of it. So maybe it's Thunder Road. the go-to song that gets you dancing or if you don't dance a, a tune that you hear and you can't sit still when you hear it yeah i'd say a go-to song for for waking up right probably um i like kind of rockers so the stones rip this joint song that makes you feel like working out or motivates you to do something? Um, boy, you know, I think I answered that for the last one uh, that motivates me uh, for getting stuff done. You know, if I need a song to really pick me up because I've got some things to do, one that pops into my head is the Clash Tommy Gun. That drum, the way it kicks off, and that, that classic guitar banging in just makes you want to get stuff done. I'm kind of a lazy listener in a way. Uh, like if I lived in Columbus, I'd be listening to the station all the time. 
Uh, I listen to our, our local, um, you know, Kent State. I'll let them bring it. I'll listen online to WXPN out of Philly and let them bring it to me, or I'll pop on uh, Sirius XM and let them bring it to me too. Okay, last one. Song that lifts you up when you're feeling down. These are great questions. The song that lifts me up when I'm feeling down, I immediately, without really even thinking, I thought about Otis Redding. Songs like These Arms of Mine. Sad songs, but they 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 bring you up. Um, uh, you know that sort of '60s soul that's almost country. That's Arthur Alexandery. Uh, that stuff uh, really picks me up. Greg Harris from our chat a few years ago during his visit to WCBE. John Gerke directs the Rock Hall's fan engagement and onstage experience. We spoke shortly after the announcement of the 2023 nominees. Well, Mike, first, it's the excitement of what's possibly to come for any of these deserving nominees. And to me, when I look at this list, there's 14 nominees on the ballot this year, eight of whom has never been nominated before, two brand newly eligible artists with Missy Elliott and the White Stripes. I think to me, this list represents the rock and roll that we celebrate every day. I say it every year. Rock and roll has never looked one way or sounded one way. It's always had different styles and genres. At its core, it is a spirit. It is an attitude. And when you see the list of everyone from Cyndi Lauper and George Michael to Sheryl Crow, Willie Nelson, Warren Zevon, Iron Maiden, Rage Against the Machine, The Spinners, Joy Division, and New Order, it's such an impressive list. Uh, you really can't pick a bad class, and I can't wait to see where the voters vote. The key components of a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, how would you characterize those? It's a great question, and actually I'll tell you what we tell the voters. We ask the voters, as they are deciding who to pick, because they you know, they get to vote for five of these 14. That's, that's how the ballots work. And we ask them to think about things like impact, influence, innovation, and musical excellence. Now, all those terms, there's some degree of subjectivity to it. It's why when we send out the ballots, they all come with carefully written biography and discography. If you're a voter and maybe you aren't as familiar with one of those nominees, we want to give you all the tools to make the best vote and to make an unbiased vote, which can be hard because rock and roll is very subjective. Music is subjective. But that's ultimately the goal. It is awesome that the inductees are part of the voting process, but then fans are as well. And that vote sort of comprises, is it one or two that go into the whole collection? Yeah, what happens is anyone, all of your listeners, fans out there, they can vote once a day between now and April 28th. And then on April 28th, the top five vote getters in the fan vote will now comprise the official fans ballot. So it is one of the ballots that gets counted. And I know on paper, people might think, oh, that's only one ballot. There's over a thousand voters. That's such a small percentage. 
But what we've noticed over the last couple of years, especially, is there's been a great correlation with how the fans vote and how the voters vote. Anecdotally, I think one of the reasons might be there's so much buzz about the fan vote. Fans and, and the bands are sharing on social media. So I do think we've seen residual impacts beyond just the you know fan vote counting as one ballot. Yeah, and as you said, it's wonderful because there's time to explore an artist that you might not be familiar with and really take them in and soak them in and go, okay, I, I understand why this person is or this band is among this list. It's my favorite part of the process, in fact, is discovery. I mean, that's why we all love music, right? It, you know, we all have these artists and these memories, these stories where we discovered an artist. And maybe we discovered them at a small club. Maybe we discovered them 30 years after you know, they were already famous. But the art of discovering something new that you didn't know about yesterday, there's nothing more invigorating to me than that. So, of course, you're going to have your favorites and you should celebrate those and be excited that they're on the ballot. But if there's someone on this list who you aren't familiar with, dig into their music. We're going to be sharing content about all the nominees in the coming weeks and months. So you'll learn a lot about them just by following rockhall.com. It's a great opportunity to really dig in and discover something that maybe you weren't familiar with previously. Outstanding. Uh, looking ahead, sort of estimated dates moving forward in terms of the nominees announced and the ceremony itself. Mm -hmm. Sure. In May, sometime in May, we will announce the inductees. Usually at that time or, ar or, or around that time, we also announce ticket information, a date, a venue. So all that information is forthcoming. Cleveland kind of got in the rotation and it feels like it's, it's time again. Uh, and I know you can't say anything yet, but is the Rock Hall considering something out of the rotation? All I can say is we haven't announced any, any details yet for this year's ceremony. Uh, you know, Cleveland has had the ceremony, I guess it was 09, 12, 15, 18, and 21. Those have been all the Cleveland ceremonies. But, you know, what I always say is regardless of if it's in Cleveland or L.A. or New York, every induction ceremony is just is really special and, and kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And some exciting things in terms of the museum itself. I wonder if you could highlight a couple. Yeah, I mean, you know, a great slate of uh, both virtual and in-person events highlighting our Black History Month celebration. It's an annual cornerstone of our educational and programming outreach. In March, we, you know, we kick off our Women's History Month. We did just, you know, a few months ago, open up our Class of 22 inductee exhibit. So that will be on display all summer long. I love the summer at the Rock Hall. And of course, in the background of all of this will be still the, the kind of the buildup to the 2023 induction ceremony as well. Stay engaged with us on social, check out rockhall.com and just listen. Listen to your favorites, rediscover songs you forgot, and hopefully discover some bands for the first time. John, thank you so much for your time. Really been a pleasure to chat with you and all the best to everyone at the Rock Hall. Thanks for your support. Really appreciate it. Few of the greatest moments of my radio career have come in covering the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies in 2015, 2018, and 2021 in Cleveland with my Rock Hall correspondent, Jazz Sunday host Jack Marchbanks. And if this year's ceremony returns to Cleveland, I'm sure we'll be back again. A reminder that Jazz Sunday airs tomorrow from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. 
Also invite you to join me weekday mornings from 6 to 8 on WCBE for the Morning Mix, featuring music from emerging and established artists, musicians based or born in central Ohio, around the state, along with selections that especially move me. I know it's early, but the music will keep you awake and inspired. The Morning Mix weekday mornings from 6 to 8 on WCBE and streaming at WCBE.org. I'm Mike Foley. Talk to you again on the next Music Journey. Central Ohio's longest-running dance show on WCBE. Hi, I'm James Brown, inviting you to join me for your official start of the weekend this Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It's three hours of world-class dance music from 10 to 1, where you hear it first. 90.5 WCBE.